0: Grace, mercy, and peace be to you. From God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. There is a a saying, I believe, in some of the military training and and planning that one of the dangers is that you're always tempted to fight the last war you fought. This became a significant issue, particularly in World War II. The last one they had fought was, was World War I. World War I had been fought in trenches, trench after trench after trench, dug all the way across here, up and down the coast between the border between Germany and France. And in that war there had been machine gun after machine gun after machine gun. Waves of armies who had been trained to fight with muskets and with with the swords at the end of those muskets were mowed down by machine guns. And so they didn't want to fight that battle over again and so they built Towers on towers up and down the border between France and Germany on the French side, called the Maginot Line, going to fix the machine gun problem. Problem was, the enemy had learned how to build tanks. Tanks didn't care about the Maginot Line. They went right across. Didn't have any problem whatsoever defeating the French armies with their Maginot Line. So the challenge of course is, what do you do to forecast what the war is going to be like, what the next challenge is going to look like when your only experience is what you've got to draw from in the past. Well, lo and behold, that's exactly one of the ways that the Reformation was challenged when it came to the sacrament of the altar. How could that possibly be, you add? Well. I'm so glad you asked. That's what we're here to discuss today. So one of the great challenges that the early church had discovered was what to do with pastors, bishops even, who had renounced the faith under persecution. Not just members, but pastors. What about pastors who had been found to have committed grave sin? Could they continue in their role, in their office? And what about the baptisms that they had conducted? Were those baptisms somehow tainted? What about the the gift of the forgiveness of sins offered to them through absolution or the the sacrament of the altar? They had spoken the words over the bread and the wine and, and thereby the sacrament of the altar to be celebrated were those gifts actually real when they were given by men who were found to have been a bad character, of bad faithfulness? Well, that question was debated by all kinds of people. And the party that was most rigorous in this and, and found that they were going to make sure that not only were Those pastors not returned to their offices, but all of those baptisms that they had conducted and all of those marriages that they had conducted had to be redone. Those folks were called the Donatists. Those Donatists had quite a following in Northern Africa. St. Augustine argued differently. He argued that the power of the word was what had made those sacraments legitimate. And the office that those men had borne was doing the work and not the men themselves in terms of their own character, their own sense of faithfulness. Their personal discipleship was not a measure of what God was doing when he made the promises through them to the people of God. Okay, so then that became the standard operating procedure. Now, for many of those pastors, they were not returned to their offices. But the gifts that they had given, the rites of baptism, the rites of Holy Communion, the rites of marriage and such, they were not discounted except by some of those folks that were on the fringe, so to speak. But that was the last path that had been fought over this. And so the rule of thumb at the time of the Reformation was the gifts work based on the guy in the office and his promises there and not on his character. But the role of faith in the promise had really never been dealt with. Do you actually have to believe words say in order to receive the benefit of what is being offered here. In fact, the rule of thumb has become that the gift works no matter what, because that's safeguarded the clergy. But the question still remains, don't the people of God have to know what to believe about these things? Don't the people of God actually have to know and and cling in faith to the promises being delivered? Otherwise, aren't they in danger of having those promises go in one ear and out the other without any effect on them? Isn't the forgiveness of sins not just a matter of hocus-pocus up here, which of course, comes from the Latin phrase, this is my body, porcus, corpus, meum. I'm sure you all knew that. <laughs> but it's not just a matter of having it done and even just watching it being done, but actually receiving not only the gifts, the body and blood of the Lord, but also believing what our Lord says about these gifts. These are given and shed for you to eat and to drink for the forgiveness of sins. And that there is a relationship of trust involved in this. Whoever believes these words has exactly what they say. That's what Luther comes out with. Because at his time, the concern was people are coming to church they don't know what it is they're supposed to be thinking. They don't know what it is they're supposed to be receiving. They'll even imagine that they have participated in the sacrament as much as they need to just by watching it happen as a kind of a, a drama or a play up here unfolding in front of them. And that it's enough to, to see the elements lifted up so that everyone can see it, but to actually eat or drink or to trust or believe or to know what Jesus is saying, that is unnecessary. Because simply by coming, darkening the door, sitting in the pew for up until that moment, I get the benefit of however many years off of purgatory that I get just by showing up. But for the sake of The Christians under his care, Luther puts down in writing what we're supposed to know and what we're supposed to think and what we're supposed to believe. That based on Jesus' own word, we are being addressed. God is talking to us. He is saying very deliberately and very intentionally, this gift is not given just as a matter of a performance. It's not as a matter of a ritual in and of itself. It is a ritual. It is a ritual given because of the promise, not for its own sake. And the promise is intended to elicit faith, as is every promise. If I promise to you that we're all going to Disneyland on Saturday, <laughs> you're going to want to believe that that's exactly what we're doing. And you're going to show up right and early to get to Disneyland. On my dime. By the way, we're not going to Disneyland. <laughs> but when the Lord Jesus Christ promises you that I am here, and not just there and then, but here and now, because of this very gift, the the part of this teaching that we talked about two weeks ago—that it is the the very resurrection and ascended body and blood of Jesus come to be here and now present with you. It's not Elvis in the building, it's Jesus. And he's come with these words, these beloved, beloved words. This cross-born, resurrected body and blood with, with the wounds still glowing of his hands and his feet and his side and the crown of his head. This body and blood in his resurrection is here to forgive your sins. You don't have to be there and then because Jesus is here and now. He has promised it by his word, not because of what anything I say, except that he's already said it, given and shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. Well, do we have sins to forgive? Yes. Yes, we do. We all do. We still are here in this flesh. We still are here in this world. We still have been sinned against and wanted to retaliate. We have all the brokenness around us that pulls us out of our peace and into that that uncertainty. We still need that forgiveness and assurance of our Lord Jesus Christ's presence right here with us, right here, right now. He does not leave us as orphans. He does not leave us without his gifts. He continues to shepherd us directly, even as he gives us one another. And I must admit, you folks as sheep certainly keep me on my toes. It's no lackadaisical thing to bear a staff or a yoke in this world. But to be given the true honor and privilege to speak the words of Jesus for your hearing. It is what calls you to know, love, and trust, and then yes, to follow Jesus as you trust his words for you. What is this marvelous gift, the forgiveness of sins? It is the cross come to you so that you can know that everything, everything is covered in the blood of That you are washed again, clean and clear, to stand before him in his holiness. Holy thing, for God's declared holy people, so that you have all that he has given his church to obtain. That's what makes you ready, then, to go out into the world, having, just like Simeon, held the body of Jesus in your hands. Simeon who who cradled the babe Jesus on the 40th day of his life and said now Lord, now I have seen your salvation. Now your promises have been fulfilled. Now everything that you have given us is is right here in in this babe. Right here in this body and in this blood. Now Because your promises are fulfilled for me, and I've seen with my very own eyes those promises fulfilled, the the glory of Israel and the light to the Gentiles to come into your presence. I've seen all of this. I am at peace to die. Let me go now. Because there's nothing more, nothing more to even know or to see or to experience because God, God has come to me in the flesh. He has given me all that I need to support this body, life, spirit, soul, and anything else that is of me, of my creation. Everything that he needs to wrap me up in him and, and have me presented to the Father is complete. This accomplished, is done. And he has fed me with the bread of life. But should it be that you leave me here and send me back out into the world? Equipped and armored with the armor of God and, and emblazoned with your hope on it, with your sign and your cross, to joust and to swashbuckle with Satan himself, I'll come back again. I'll come back again and hear these words one more time because just as I need it today, I will need it then too. Forgiveness of sin so that life and salvation be Forcing through me my heart, my mind, my soul, because of the resurrection of Jesus. Because he is king, because he is our generous king, he's able to deliver these good and perfect gifts so that we may have life in his name. Amen. The peace of God that passes all through understanding. <laughs> keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. <laughs>